0: Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to your holy word, we do so knowing that no prophecy of scripture was produced by the will of man, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So grant now your spirit to us, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may understand your word as it is proclaimed in our hearing. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, page 793 in the Pew Bibles. And if you're not familiar with Zechariah, it's the second to last book in the Old Testament. So if you find the Gospel of Matthew, just go back two books back into the Old Testament. After finishing our series of Romans last week, this morning we'll be beginning our new series on the book of the prophet Zechariah. And this morning we will cover the first six verses, which will also give us an opportunity to cover some introductory topics. So let's read our sermon text. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, To whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, as the common saying goes. Let me ask you, is it true? Well, it's certainly true in certain circumstances. If a husband is separated from his wife for a short time and he misses her and he is longing to see her again, then they will have a joyous reunion and after her return they will appreciate one another's presence even more than before their time apart. However, consider another circumstance. Consider when a person moves to a new city and he doesn't keep in touch with his friends from his old home and so over time they simply drift apart. The same phenomenon happens in the spiritual realm. If you begin to wander away from the Lord, if you don't draw near to him over an extended period of time, maybe you notice something missing at first, but soon you start to start trying to fill that whole in your heart with all the shiny things that the world is offering to you, all the idols, all the God alternatives that this world has cooked up. In this situation, I would not say that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but rather absence makes the heart grow callous and hard, numb. This was beginning to happen to God's people during Zechariah's day. But here, Zechariah's initial message to them, we see the theme is one of repentance. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is a message of bountiful grace to a people who were in the midst of straying from the Lord their God. It's a message for you, God's people today, as well, a call to repentance, a call to return to the Lord your God, with a promise that he will return to you, his people. This morning, we will begin with an introduction to this new book that we're studying, Zechariah. We'll consider the author, the date, the setting, some key themes, and a basic outline of the book. Then we'll look closely at this, Zechariah's first message, the call to return to the Lord with the promise, he will return to you, his people. Whenever we begin a study of a new book of the Bible, it's always helpful to to understand a little bit of background information, to know what is the historical context in which God revealed this portion of his holy word. And the very first verse here gives us some information about both the author and the date of this book. First, we see that the author is named Zechariah. And this name means, the Lord remembers. It was a very common name in the Old Testament, in Old Testament Israel. And you may recall, it was also the name of the father of John the Baptist. Uh, The meaning of the name is not brought out explicitly in the text of the book. It is still significant as Zechariah is prophesying to a people who had recently returned to the promised land after nearly 70 years in exile. But now, after they've been back in the land for 20 years, they are deeply discouraged. And they need to know that the Lord remembers his covenant. The Lord remembers his promises. The Lord remembers his people. The Lord remembers Zechariah. You also see that Zechariah was the son of Berechiah, the grandson of Ido. And according to Nehemiah 12.4, Ido was among the priests who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon with Zerubbabel. He was one of the governors of Jerusalem. Zechariah himself is listed as a head of a priestly house in Nehemiah 12.16, and so all this just says that Zechariah comes from the priestly tribe of the Levites. He is naturally concerned for the worship of God's people. He is concerned for their spiritual state. Zechariah is also mentioned twice in the book of Ezra. There he is described as prophesying to the people alongside the prophet Haggai. And that's the book that comes just before Zechariah in the Old Testament. We also have one more reference to Zechariah from the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he was denouncing the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, he said they were just like their fathers who shed the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, between the sanctuary and the altar, Matthew twenty-three, thirty-five. While this event is not recorded for us in the scriptures, apparently it was well known in Jesus' day through oral histories. There's a deep irony here that Zechariah was eventually rejected and killed by the people in the very courts of the temple that he, as we'll see, will encourage them to build. Verse 1 also gives us a date. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. And there are two more dates in the book, just a few verses later, chapter 1 verse 7 gives us another date and it's just a few months after this date. And then there's a date in chapter 7 verse 1 and that date is 2 years after afterwards. So if we are to put these dates on our modern calendar, they would be 520, 519, and 518 BC. So all within a span of about two years. Some scholars believe that the second half of the book, chapters 9 through 14, which has a different style, some believe that it's to be dated a little bit later. But there's no dates given in the second half of the book. And a difference of a few years doesn't really affect the setting. So really, the whole book is set somewhere right around there, 520 B.C., And all these dates are given during the reign of King Darius the Great, the third ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. And just to note, if you're following in my evening series where we've been working through the book of Daniel, this is not the same Darius who threw Daniel into the lion's den. This is two kings later, still in the same Medo-Persian Empire. Now, the fact that Zechariah is basing his dates off this Persian ruler shows you that while the Israelites have returned to Jerusalem, they are still being ruled over by a foreign king. Just to go back in time a little bit to give a little bit more historical context, the southern kingdom of Judah, after many years of sin and rebellion, after many warnings from the prophets, they were sent into exile into Babylon in three waves, from 605 to 586 BC. It was in 586 BC that Jerusalem fell and was destroyed. It was that then when Solomon's temple was destroyed. But then, about 70 years later, in 539 BC, just as God had foretold, the Babylonian Empire fell To the Medo-Persian Empire. Led by Cyrus the Great. He's the one that's also called Darius. In the book of Daniel. Cyrus allowed the Jewish exiles. To return to their land. To rebuild the temple. And the work was started right away. The foundations were laid. But external opposition. Followed by a lack of enthusiasm. For the work led to a stall. In the construction. So. Now the people have been back in the land for nearly 20 years. But they're still under the thumb of a foreign empire. They are heavily taxed. They are deeply discouraged. Any enthusiasm stirred up by the return to the land 20 years ago has now faded. It's in this context that in 520 BC, during King Darius' reign, God raised up two prophets— To encourage his people with two related messages. First, Haggai began to prophesy, encouraging the people to resume their work on building God's holy temple. And then just two months later, Zechariah began to prophesy with a focus on the spiritual renewal of God's people Israel. So let's consider now the key themes of the book. As we see in our passage this morning, one of the first themes of the book is this call to repentance. Along with this is the promise of forgiveness, that the Lord will forgive, that he will restore his presence to his people. You're likely familiar with the passage in chapter 3, in which the high priest Joshua is seen in filthy garments, but these garments are stripped off and then replaced with clean vestments. And this is a beautiful picture of our justification through faith in Christ. Forgiveness, and not just forgiveness, but being replaced with the very righteousness of God. Zechariah also bolsters Haggai's message, encouraging the people to rebuild the Lord's temple. And along with that, he gives the Lord's promise that he will return, that he will personally inhabit the rebuilt temple. Then another major theme of the book is that of a restored king in the line of David. One who will save his people from their sins. This king is called both the branch and the shepherd. Very important messianic terms. Because of this theme, Zechariah is heavily quoted in the Passion Narratives in the Gospels, almost as if Jesus is following the script of Zechariah as he goes to the cross. Along with this theme, there are promises not only of the restoration of all of Jerusalem, but that Jerusalem will be delivered from her enemies, and that God will bring in people from all the nations to join his people from worship, these themes foretell how, in the New Testament, the gospel will go out to the Gentiles to all the ends of the earth. And so, just to sum it all up, overall, this message is fi- this book is filled with a message of hope, of renewal, of restoration for God's people. And there is much more. There's great diversity in this book. I'm only scratching the surface as I list the key themes, the major themes this morning. And so my hope, my prayer for you all is that you'll find our study of this book richly rewarding. And just a thought as you uh, are preparing for this, this series, uh, something I've been doing is take some time this week or in the weeks to come, read through Zechariah, uh, Wet your appetite as we prepare to uh To preach through this book in the weeks that are coming up. Now let's consider the basic outline of the book. The book can be divided roughly in half into two parts. Chapters one through eight is made up of mostly of Zechariah's eight night visions. So first you have the introduction that we're looking at this morning, the first six verses, and then Zechariah records eight visions that he saw in the night. We'll see these visions are dominated by vibrant, symbolic imagery, similar to the apocalyptic visions in both Daniel and the book of Revelation. Then after the eight visions, there is a closing section in this half of the book on fasting being turned to feasting in chapters 7 and 8. You might recall Reverend Sam Fulta brought a sermon on these chapters last December. Then chapters 9 through 14, the second half of the book, contains two prophetic oracles. And these oracles are very different in style from the first half of the book, the night visions. But there are many similar themes which tie the two halves of the book together. The first oracle runs from chapters 9 to 11, the second from 12 to 14. It's in these chapters where we find a stronger emphasis on the coming king than the line of David. That's the basic outline of the book. And with that in mind, we're ready to examine in depth our text this morning. So let's begin reading again verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your father's. Lord, speaking through Zechariah, begins by reminding his people of his wrath poured out on their fathers in the exile. It had now been about 70 years since the destruction of the temple. It's a few generations' time. But surely this memory was fresh in their minds, fresh in their memories. Surely stories of the horrors inflicted by the Babylonians had been passed down, and the evidence was all Around them, in the ruins amongst which they dwell. The population of Jerusalem was only a fraction of what it had been previously, and so the broken and burnt husks of walls and buildings would have been a constant reminder of God's anger against their forefathers. But has this generation taken the proper lesson away from God's judgment on their ancestors? Have they learned from their parents' mistakes? Apparently not, as we see in verse 3. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And two main things to note in this verse. First, note the name that the Lord uses, the Lord of hosts used three times in this single verse, and 53 times in the book. Now, hosts, that's a biblical term for armies. It can refer to armies of angels, the angelic hosts, or to earthly armies with their military might. Now, since God's people had no army at this point in time, this is likely here primarily a reference to God's heavenly hosts, his heavenly armies of angels, However, it's also true that God is sovereign over all the nations, all their kings, all their armies, just as he had used Nebuchadnezzar's army to bring his people into exile. So whenever you see this reference, it is speaking of God and his might. It's similar to the president's title. He is the president, that's his chief title, but we also call him the commander in chief. And so here, the Lord of hosts is a reminder of God's almighty power. It's with this title at the forefront that the Lord of hosts says to his people, return to me, and I will return to you. To return means to go back, to change direction. It's a word that can also be translated to repent. And in fact, in verse 6, the same Hebrew word is translated to repent. This command to return is accompanied with a promise that if God's people return to him, he will also return to them. Now, you might think that by emphasizing that God is the Lord of hosts, he would come with a message of impending judgment. That's not what we see here. It is true that he is the Lord Almighty, the Lord mighty in battle. But he has come to offer a promise of restoration to his people. A promise of his gracious presence. If only his people will come. If they will return to him with repentant and humble hearts. Let's continue in verse 4. Do not be like your fathers. To whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Verse 4 challenges Zechariah's contemporaries to not be like their fathers, the generation that was sent into exile, into Babylon. That generation received the word of God through what he calls here the former prophets, most likely having in mind Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, although there were many other prophets who came even before them. His call to turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds is both a general summary of their message, the message of the former prophets, as well as an almost exact citation of a particular passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, four through five. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets saying, turn now every one of you from his evil ways and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. So here, both Zechariah and Jeremiah, whom he is quoting, are getting to the very root cause of the exile. The main thing that provoked the Lord to such anger that he cast his people out of his promised land. It was not for one particular sin or another, but for the great sin of persistently rejecting the word of God as it came to them through the prophets. The prophets called the people to repentance, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. When the Lord made the Mosaic covenant with his people, he knew that they were sinful and stiff-necked people. He knew that provision needed to be made to deal with their sin. And so he gave them the tabernacle and later the temple. He gave them an elaborate system with priests and sacrifices so that blood could be shed on the altar for their sins. Now, of course, we know that all this was only a shadow pointing forward to the perfect and final sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is The only sacrifice that truly deals with the guilt of sin. But even the sacrificial system required the people to humble themselves, to recognize their sins, to confess them, and to repent of them, to turn from them to the Lord. But when prophet after prophet came, and the people closed their hearts and stopped up their ears, The Lord's anger burned hot against his people until it broke out in the judgment of the exile. So now Zechariah challenges his generation. Do not be like your fathers who did not hear or pay attention to me. Don't end up like they did. And you can see the evidence of it all around you. And the only way to avoid their fate is to listen to the word of God through his servants, the prophets. And verses 5 through 6a asks three rhetorical questions. The first is, your fathers, where are they? Of course, the point is they have perished. And not only that, they died in exile under God's judgment. This generation, we're now dwelling in the midst of ruins. A constant testimony to them of the destruction of past generations. The second question, verse 5b, and the prophets, do they live forever? This question expects the answer, no. The prophets are also mortal men. The point is that even the prophets, even the best among God's people die, their prophecy ceases and the opportunity to hear God's word through them comes to an end. The fact that God has now raised up not only one, but two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, presents an opportunity, a golden opportunity for God's people, an opportunity to draw near to God. But only if they will hear God's word and heed it. And the third rhetorical question, verse 6a, But my words and my statutes... Which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Here, the implied answer is yes. Let me explain. First, the opening word, but, implies a contrast between the people who died in verse 5 and God's word in verse 6. Contrast like in Isaiah 40 all flesh is grass, the grass withers, the flower fades. That the word of our God will stand forever. Second, my words and my statutes. This is the language of Deuteronomy. It's a reference to the stipulations of the covenant. The prophets called Israel to keep God's covenant given, them, given to them through Moses on Mount Sinai. But when they failed to do so, they fell under the curses of that covenant. The chief curse for covenant disobedience was exile. Third, note this word, overtake. It's a hunting term. While men die, God's word lasts forever. And if you transgress his laws, his justice will hunt you down and overtake you. You will not escape from the law of God. And Zechariah is saying, that's what happened to your fathers. God's justice overtook them. This brings us, to 6b. So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Here we see the response of Zechariah's listeners, and it's a good one. First, we see they repent. I think it's helpful to recognize that the word translated repent here is the same Hebrew word translated repent return elsewhere in the passage. In other words, they are responding to the earlier command of the Lord. They are returning to the Lord. Second, having heard the summary of how God has dealt with his people in the past, they judge. He has been just. Yes, the exile was a severe judgment, but it was exactly what was decreed beforehand for covenant breaking in the Mosaic Covenant God has dealt with us, and it, he has been just. Now, in light of their repentance, the Lord will fulfill his promise to return to them. And in fact, that's the story of the rest of the book. The story of God's return to bless his people with his presence. And this will be seen in two primary ways in this book. First, we see in the way that God will be present with his people through the rebuilt temple. As he promises in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Of course, Haggai is also prophesying alongside Zechariah, encouraging the people in their work to rebuild the temple as God's symbolic dwelling place on earth. Second, God is present with his people through his representatives, his prophets, his priests, and especially his king. In Zechariah, there is an emphasis on a coming king from the line of David. And you know the prophecy. Zechariah 9.9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you! Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as you know, this prophecy was to be fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ when he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a humble donkey, with the people shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David Hosanna, in the highest, Mark 11:9 through10. And they knew what they were saying. They were declaring him to be the Davidic king prophesied by Zechariah. As they saw him riding into Jerusalem, seated so humbly on a donkey. And Jesus doesn't only fulfill that prophecy. He also comes to rebuild the temple. First, when he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, referring to the temple of his body, John 2.19. But secondly, after his resurrection, after he raised up the body of his temple, Christ pours out his spirit on the church at Pentecost so that now we speak of all God's people as Christ's body, as God's Holy temple, the dwelling place of his spirit. And so Christ rebuilds God's temple, the church. And you are God's temple. As we consider a few points of application this morning, I want to approach this from this angle, the angle of this question. How can you be included in God's holy temple, the church The temple that Christ is building, has built, and continues to build even to this day. And the key, which is the theme of our passage this morning, the key is repentance. Repentance, as we see in our passage, has two parts. It is both a turning away from our evil ways and our evil deeds, but also a returning to the Lord. You must both turn away from your sin And turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and put your trust in him. And repentance isn't just a one-time thing that you do at the beginning of the Christian life. As Martin Luther famously said in the first of his 95 Theses, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance is something we continually do. As the Holy Spirit reveals sin deep in our hearts and convicts us of sin in our lives. The Israelites in Zechariah's day, they were drifting away from the Lord. They had given up on the project he had given them to do, to rebuild his temple. Perhaps you've been neglecting the Lord in your life. Or perhaps you've been ignoring his call to serve him in some way. Whatever it is, Today, the call is to repent, to turn from your sin, but also to turn to the Lord. And the gracious promise from God, the Lord of hosts, is this. Return to me, and I will return to you. As the Lord declares through Zechariah, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Perhaps one of the greatest pictures of repentance and restoration in the Bible is Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. After squandering his inheritance in a far-off country, being left to feed the pigs, he finally came to his senses and determined to return home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. He clothed him with the best robe, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and he slaughtered the fattened calf and they began to celebrate. The father sang, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If you've been wandering from God in the far country, it's time to come home, turn from your sin, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord, and he says, I will return to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you both for this call to return, but also for this, your gracious promise, that when we return to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, you will return to us. We thank you for the finished work of our Savior, knowing that it's only because you sent your Son and he willingly came and laid down his life for our sins on the cross. Because of his finished work, atonement has been made, redemption has been accomplished, and so we can freely come. You have made open the way. You have opened the pathway so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be justified, so that our sins can be washed away. And so you adopt us as your sons. You throw that welcome party with a fattened calf. And so we rejoice and we give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.